0: Welcome to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later, where we research the response of our past and review their relevance for today. This is your host, Moshe Kurtz. Welcome, my friends, to another episode of Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Today, we're gonna do something quite fun. Uh, first of all, we're doing the topic of co-education, which of course is a very fun, interesting, and relevant topic in and of itself. We're also doing something a little bit different for the podcast today. Actually, I'm not just having on one guest, but I'm having on two guests today, Joseph Kaplan and Michael Feldstein. And uh, both Michael and Joseph are people who I respect. They've actually both in their own capacities, I would describe them as intelligent observers of the development of orthodox practice in America. And. Uh, I know I'm supposed to do, you guys are both writers, so I'll do some show, don't tell, and share with our audience uh, just a, a brief little uh, slither of the many accolades and prestigious things that you've received. That way we can have an appreciation for our guest today, and then we'll jump right into the topic. So, Joseph C. Kaplan, a retired lawyer, has been a regular columnist for the New Jersey Jewish Standard for the past eight years. Before he started writing for the standard for over 40 years, he wrote articles and columns for various Jewish publications, including Shema magazine, The Jewish Week, the Baltimore Jewish Times, and the Ada Journal. A longtime resident of Teaneck with his wife Sharon, they have been blessed with four grandchildren, four, four wonderful daughters and five grandchildren and uh, he just recently published a book, A Passionate Writing Life. Based on his columns, in my opinion, and I've been thinking, it's available for purchase online. We'll link it in the description. And our second guest today, Michael Feldstein, has been a direct marketing professional for more than 40 years. He graduated with an MBA in marketing from New York University and has lived in Stanford since 1982. Feldstein is a member of both Young Israel Stanford and Congregation of Gitta Shalom, of huh, Shalom, never heard of that place, and has served on the adult education committees at both synagogues. He chaired the community's air of association as a longtime member of the Stanford Hebrick Kadisha. Michael has also served on the board of IDA and currently is a board member for YU Connects. For the last two years, he's been publishing a weekly column in the Jewish Link, um, and as well, I know you've written for the Jewish Week and the Forward. And my understanding is that a culmination of many of these articles became your recent book, Meet Me in the Middle, which will also be linked in the description. Um, So I know Michael and Joseph, both of you, managed to publish your books uh, within a short span of each other, and I think it's evident from your bios that both of you, again, have been really uh, intelligent and incisive observers of development of orthodoxy in America throughout your life. You haven't just observed, but you've written about it and shared it with the broader community. So what I'm looking forward to doing is we're going to talk about Coeducation. I'm curious. if You could just give us like a very brief understanding why we chose coeducation as our angle for understanding the development of halachic practice in America. Maybe Joseph, you want to go first. You're on the top of my screen. I'm not giving preferential treatment.
1: Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rabbi Kurtz, for for inviting me. Uh, I just met you recently in real life, so it's easier to talk to you as a little box on a screen. I enjoy people, virtual friends, becoming real friends in real life. And it's a pleasure being here with, with my uh, good friend, Michael, my partner in crime as a as a columnist. Uh, one small correction, one small emendation. I have five grandchildren, not four. And I will take it that I am an observer of Jewish life. I am a writer about Jewish life. The intelligence I'll leave for my readers, and I will <laughs> comment on that. I I think that co education is an important issue, but I look at co education through two lenses that might not be the usual lenses that people look at them through. Uh, first of all, I'm talking when I look at co education, I'm talking about limud de kodesh. There are all sorts of issues about co education that educators talk about about different learning styles, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not an educator. I'm not talking about that. I know that there are articles on both sides, so you could have two educators debate that, but that's not what I'm interested in as looking at this in the modern Orthodox community. Rather, what I do is I conflate co-education with the issue of teaching Torah to females on as high a level as possible and in the same way that we teach torah to males now i understand those are technically two different issues but i believe that if you did a venn diagram of those two issues the two circles would have a tremendous amount of overlap with maybe at the edges a little bit some differences so so that's how i look at it mm-hmm. and, and so it's like I, a I,
0: separate but equal is inherently unequal um, that, that's well, the...
1: okay yes yeah, so i'm gonna get to that first before i get to that i know that 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 uh, you have not only a modern Orthodox listening group but you have people from the yeshivish or Haredi community who listen I it's my position is really only relevant to those who value giving women an equal Torah education to men I know some groups don't value that I understand I appreciate I respect it I differ with them but I hope that that what I'll discuss will at least be interesting to them to understand where some people, and I believe many people, in the modern orthodox community are coming from with respect to that issue. And the possible third lo- third lens is exactly what you mentioned. It's the debate between, and I was a, I'm, I was a <laughs> lawyer for 46 years, so I have to mention law, the debate <laughs> between Plessy v. Ferguson and 1899 and Brown versus Board of Education in 1954 on separate but equal. Now, where Brown came out is that separate but equal is inherently unequal. Now, my view on on co-education is not that. I don't know whether it's inherently unequal, but it's practically unequal. Mm. Just doesn't work, and maybe a little bit later. I don't want to take up too much time at the beginning, but a little bit later, I could actually give, go through some very specific examples. How when it's not when they're not in the same room, and they don't they, they don't have to be sitting next to each other, and they could even be a machitsa if we're talking about adults. But if they're not in the same room and they're not invited to the same classes, then separate is is unequal in practical terms.
0: Very well said. And I, I appreciate your distinction between the in principle unequal versus just practically speaking. Uh, if you don't have the same, they're not in the same room, what's going to happen is there's going to be a halacha sheir offered to the men. There's going to be, you know, a nice fluffy sheir offered to the women. Of course, parsha is good for men also, but halacha is also good for women. Okay. um, As we say at this point. Michael, so what was uh, what attracted you to this topic of co-education as our
2: angle? Co-education is a very interesting topic within our community, and I think there's been a shift because decades ago, I think there was actually more acceptance of co-education simply because there were less choices about schools mm. in most communities, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, especially in communities outside the New York area. There was often only one day school and by default it was usually a co educational school, and as our communities ha- have grown, and thank God they've grown and new schools have sprouted. Um, I think there have been more separate sex schools that have begun to emerge, and the question of whether we should be sending our kids to a coed school or not became more of an issue. Um, the way I look at it is today, with many of the choices available, I think it's it's wonderful that families in most communities can decide on whether or not to send their children to a coeducational school or not. Um, I, I believe there is a halachic basis for females to choose either a separate sex school for their children or a coeducational school, and I also believe that certain youngsters may thrive more in a coeducational. Uh, environment and others may do better in a separate sex environment. So one, in, in in my opinion, one is not necessarily better than the other in terms of the education that one receives at each. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a good
0: point, which is, and I think Joseph, you alluded to this as well, is that there's a general pedagogical question about coeducation, which is independent of Judaism and Halacha. And then there is the more focused question, which I think interests me a little more because this is, of course, a Shots and Shuvos podcast, is from a halachic standpoint, what kind of religious challenges or reasons might we have to promote or be against coeducation? Um, spoiler alert. There's a lot more on the other side, people pushing against co-education. But I think you knew that and our listeners probably knew that coming in. But let me share with you, um, Rav Moshe Feinstein is pretty much the go-to on co-education. He's certainly not the only one who's written on it, but he has a series of different shuvos throughout the different volumes of Euridea and we're not going to get into the weeds of every last little bit of what he addressed there but i wanted to kind of give you an overview of how rev moshe feinstein addressed the issue of coeducation and then solicit your your responses and see if if that reflects your experiences um throughout your years here in america so i'm looking right now actually in Yoredeya chelik Bey's Simon kuf dalid. It's not the first one, but he elaborates a little more. And you could always learn so much about a tshuva from what's not being asked in the in the tshuva. So the Shila is about whether prepubescent, whether young children, like elementary school age children, can be in mixed classes together. Boys and girls could be in the same classes. And the entire Chua of Rav Moshe is about whether boys and girls can be together at a younger age. So you have to note from the onset, Rav Moshe Feinstein doesn't even, later chuvos, he needs to, but he almost doesn't even entertain the possibility of older boys and girls, boys and girls who are teenagers, past puberty, who are going to be mixed together. And his chief concern is that there's going to be um, probably some form of promiscuity. There'll be here, hurray avera, and it will lead to some form of, as I said, promiscuity or sexuality that could come about from mixing of the sexes. In fact, I believe he has a tshuva also where he discusses in an all boys school whether it's appropriate to even have a female teacher in such an environment. So, but we're not going to go too far off the rails on this one. Now, just the, I couldn't resist. I have to share a little bit of lumdus that comes up over here. Sir Emotion Feinstein wants to figure out whether it's permissible for young boys and girls to be in the same classroom when there isn't yet that kind of sexual thought that her hure avera that would necessarily be elicited by them being together. So he actually goes to a whole, but seemingly is a separate sugeot altogether, the question of whether you need to give a separate set of Arba Minim, of Lulav and Esrog, to a young boy who's under bar mitzvah on the first days of sukkahs. So the issue is that you need to own your own set of Lulav and Esrog, that's be Lachem on the first day. Now that's all well in Eretz Yisrael. Here in Chutz Laaretz, we have two days of Yom Tov. Okay, great. What's the big deal? Lend the kid who's under bar mitzvah, a lulav and esro, and then he'll return it back to you and everything will be fine. And you could use it again the next day. It's still lechem. The issue is um, young children are halachic black hole. The second they're kona something, they acquire something. It stays with them. They can't be makna back. So the Ravan and others say, well, what's the big deal? The whole point of the Luv and Esrog is just lahargil. The mitzvah of is just to accustom kids to keeping the Torah. They don't actually have to own it. Like, you give the kid, a young kid a lemon, he's still you're still being machanech them. You're giving them a sense of what it means to be a halachically observant Jew. Whereas the muggin Avraham takes the position that, no, you have to look at the kid as if they're chayv in mitzvahs right now. And if they don't have a Luv and Esrog that's completely kosher, and if they're not the full owner right now of that... That's no good. They, you have not done chinuch properly. And so that's actually a chumrah, a stringency in the laws of You have to get your bar, your kid under bar mitzvah. You have to get him his own separate set if you're living in chutzar, it's according to this. What Moshe does is that he says the machmir and Makel, the stringent and lenient position actually get flipped when we come to co-education. What are we doing in chinuch with these young kids who are prepubescent? Well, if the idea is is to accustom them to a life of separation of the sexes, well, then we have to be machmir. Even kids who are as young as preschools should already, you should have, I don't know if he goes this far, but you should have like separate daycares for them already to be mechanic them and what it means to have separate classrooms and to be separate in life. But if the idea is that you just look at them as if they're in chayv and mitzvahs now, well, these kids are, don't have herhurim yet. They don't have, they haven't hit puberty. They don't have sexual attraction. So you could keep them together according to the Magin Avraham. So it's just a really fun shuvah because he takes what is a stringency um, in lieu of an esrog, and he says, but maybe that's the basis that we could allow young children to be together uh, in the classroom. He does walk it back a little bit though. He says, uh, I'll just read for you briefly. He says, He says, He says, but he says this isn't just like neutral. It's not that you're not be prop be to the right way. It's that you're be mechanic the opposite way. You're being to Dafka integrate, which he sees as maybe problematic, even according to the Muggin Abraham. All that is to say there, Moshe Feinstein goes through this whole really creative halachic discourse to try to determine, maybe possibly, whether it's mutter for prepubescent children to be in the same classroom together, but there's no havamina that older children, um, who are past puberty, can be put in the same classroom. Now he does in a later tshuva in Chelek Dalid, he does say about a community in Scranton, which basically they had seven kids in a classroom. And if you separated it, boys and girls, you can have like three per class or four per class. It would become untenable financially. He says, <laughs> Since it's not viable, they're all going to go to public school. Otherwise, <laughs> Basically, that's like the, you know, that's the trump card. That's like the fire, you know, pull the break glass and uh, pull the lever. That's Esau Sosha Shem Eferu In order to keep them Jewish, you're allowed to keep them together. Otherwise, Ramosha does not entertain the possibility of kids um, above puberty being mixed together. So that's basically, I know there's so much more to Ramosha, but I'm trying to constrain myself. That's what Ramosha Feinstein has to say on the matter. Um, I would love Joseph and Michael Um to get yeah. your perspective on whether this has been
2: followed, um, well, so, you know, I like. think it's it's clear, you know, very clear that from this chuba, um in 1954 that Rav Moshe feels very, very strongly that coeducation is problematic. And uh, but I, I I think it is important to point out that um, as as you said, there was an exception that he made in Scranton. Um, this was in the 1980s. There were only 81 Jewish children in the entire community and separating the boys and the girls would have meant that three to five kids in each class, um, I mean, it would have been extremely difficult to run a normal school. And he did allow the community to have a co-ed school. So he was he was being practical. There is a second shuva that he um, uh, answered in which um, a Jewish community had two options, either to open a co-ed Jewish school for the boys and girls, or opening a yeshiva for boys and send the girls to a non-Jewish school. And Rav Moshe held that the first option was better. Um, so again, um, I'm not trying to say that Rav Moshe came out in favor of co-education, but clearly there were situations where he felt that um, at least, uh, uh, you know, if not Lachat then at least, you know, there were situations that, that it would be allowed. Uh, and I think it's important to point that out. Now, that is an important point, Michael, and though I just want to just, again, emphasize
0: the language he uses. You know, it's not just simply says it's preferable for boys and girls to be separate, but, you know, in a shah you can have a – we can give you a kula. He uses a so for Torah sech, which basically that's the – how we have permission to commit the oral Torah, to writing because that's basically saying – the continuity of judaism is in jeopardy if we don't permit this so we're like letting you basically do there's no kula we're letting you do an avera a sin for the greater good of perpetuating um the jewish line so i mean i just want to emphasize like not just simply like a kula this is like uh this is like an escape hatch last resort backed into the corner uh kind of thing that he says uh joseph no question yes
1: I'm, obviously, I'm not a bow plug to with Moshe, but thank God <laughs> it's
0: important for you're right for me to say that as well. We should we should all we should all emphasize that. Yes,
1: but Yesh Al So, I look to the head of what, is, what has been called the head of modern Orthodoxy. I look to the Rav Rabbi Joseph B. Soloveitchik and to see his views on this. And what's interesting, and I didn't know about. About the alumnus that you that you mentioned, but I think the lumdus is very important here because we're talking about a life view. So Rav Moshe had this life view of men and women being se- separate. And we don't, you know, and therefore we don't want people to get used to that. Well, as I look at the Rav's life, and I and we'll talk about what he actually wrote about teaching Torah, etc. But even before that, when you look at the Ruvs life, it was not a life of separation. And i talking about co-education in particular. You have to look not what the Rov said or wrote, but look what the Rov did. There was one school that he founded that he was in charge of. He was absolutely in charge of everything in that school. They didn't pick up a pen without getting the Ruv's permission. And that school, was not only co-ed in that boys and girls both went to Maimonides school, but every single class, Limude Chol and Limude Kodesh, was co-ed. Not only that, I've been told, so this is hearsay, but I've been told that they wanted to institute an honors Gemara class in the high school. And again, they don't do anything without the Rav, so they asked the Rav. And the Rav said, well, of course you could do it. But I have one condition. it be open to the girls as well as the boys. He didn't want there to be a Havamina that it wouldn't be open to, 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 to the girls as well as the boys. Now, now I never... Maybe I should get to, get to the letter that he wrote, give you a little bit of background on the letter that he wrote. He was asked by the by the head of the board of education of a co-ed school that i actually attended and the by rabbi leonard rosenfeld who was head of the jewish education board i think uh, and was a personal friend of my family i knew him we were on a first name basis even though i was you know a kid he was my parents best friend so i knew him very well and he was he was into education he was a talmud of the rav he had he got some from the rav in the uh, 1940s and he asked the Rav a question, uh, how, how do we teach Torah to girls? Do we teach them Torah Shabbal Do we teach them Torah Shabbal in the same depth, in the same way? Do we just teach them what they have to know, as some people say, you know, when we don't teach them Bava Metziah and Bava Basra and Bava Kama or Hulin or, or all of those things. And the Rav's answer was crystal clear on that. And it fits in, to the Maimonides School. Please accept my apologies for not answering your letter sooner. The delay was due to my overcrowded schedule. As to your question with regard to a curriculum in a coeducational school, I expressed my opinion to you long ago that it would be a very regrettable oversight on our part if we were to arrange separate Hebrew courses for girls. Not only is the teaching of Torah Shaba'opet to girls permissible, but it is nowadays an absolute imperative. This policy of discrimination between the sexes as to the subject matter and the method of instruction, which is still advocated by certain groups within our Orthodox community, has contributed greatly to the deterioration and downfall of traditional Judaism. Boys and girls alike should be introduced into the inner halls of Torah Sheba Opeh. So he can't be clearer that boys and girls have to get exactly the same Jewish education. Whatever you teach boys, you should teach girls. Whatever mesachtes you teach boys, you should teach girls. Whatever Roshonim you teach boys, you teach girls. It's clear. And how did he implement this to make sure that that happened in the school that he ran? He had them in the same classroom, so this this happened. And it's not only that every course, every class that he gave in Boston, you know, he gave courses Saturday night and Sunday morning. The college students, women were invited. His yartzay shiurim, his 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 tshuva shiurim, women were invited. Women attended. I think the Yardside Shurum they attended, you know, they were sitting separately. Uh, I think in Boston, they didn't sit separately. I'm not sure of that. But they were all in the same room. Mm-hmm. And, and because if they're not in the same room, and again, I could give, maybe I'll give examples if we have time a little bit later. If they're not in the same room, they don't get it. But it, there's one tantalizing ending to this chuva. Mm-hmm. And he ends it saying, I hope to prepare in the near future a halachic brief on the problem which will exhaust the various aspects of the same. In the meantime, I heartily endorse a uniform program for the entire student body. So that's tantalizing. Had the Rav actually done that and written that halachic brief, Uh, education education in the Jewish world could be completely different. Well, this yeah. is true.
0: This is true in general with a lot of the you know 20th century rabbanim is that many of them were Roshi yeshiva, and I think in Brisk especially, um, they were very, I think bashita, even hesitant to commit a lot of things into writing lest they want to revoke it later. But this is very, this is a very important letter because oftentimes in this discourse, uh, many people will report. An, this is the thing with Rosalvechik, because a lot of it wasn't committed to writing. Uh, you could basically uh, you could basically attribute anything to Rosalvechik because there's nothing to the contrary. It's hearsay. But many people will say that what Rosalvechik did to Maimonides was bidieved. But here we actually have a letter which makes it sound very lichat chila, um, the idea of the coeducation. Now, I want to ask both of you a question because uh, time is drawing toward a close. Uh, we'll start with Michael and then back to Joseph. Rav Moshe, as well as many post they do raise the concern of here, Hure Avera, of potential promiscuity between the sexes. Now, I am very, I'll put my cards on the table, right? So, Michael, as you well know, we have a, a lot of shroom here, a good of shalom, one of my pride and joys is that we have a weekly Gemara shear. Both men and women come. It's actually roughly 50-50. Um, and we make no big deal about it. It's not like no one comes in and says, and I'm a woman, I'm going to... Like, we literally, it's passe. We sit down, we learn just like any other shir. Um, But I do wonder, on the one hand, while giving more Torah opportunities to women, I think is important because someone who wants to... I think the more Torah we learn, the merrier. by But on the other end, I almost get the sense that modern orthodoxy doesn't even have that first havamina of how do we deal with the concern for sexual thought. It's almost akin – I don't want to start talking about kolaisha because that's its own Pandora's box. But as you point out, Joseph, a lot of these are interlocking sugios. Um, I find many times certain in certain modern orthodox contexts with women singing – it's not just simply that maybe we're so make on some reading of the Sridh which is worthy of its own podcast, but I find that we don't even have step one. Like we don't even have to have a that maybe it should be something that's us and then we have to think about why it's mutter. It's just like we take for granted. Oh, of course, co-education. Of course, women sing out loud in front of men, but do, do you, how how does modern orthodoxy in from your standpoint, do they actually reckon with these halakhic concerns or are we kind of just gloss right over them, and jump straight to the uh, e- equality of opportunity.
2: So, Michael, I think, you first. I think it's a, I think it's a problem. I, I mean, on the other hand, I think that many in the modern orthodox community are aware of, for instance, the laws of equal and take it very seriously. Um, there are certain situations that, that that warrant it. You know, one of the big downsides I have of separate sex schools and, and more separate sex environments general and Uh, for all activities, actually, is that we've kind of created this generation of young men and women who literally don't know how to socialize with members of the opposite sex. And, you know, it rears its ugly head when it comes time for young Orthodox men and women to date. (laughs) You know, we expect our young men and women to find mates at 20 or 21 years old, and the only females sometimes they've only socialized with are their mothers and their sisters. I mean, it makes no sense. And I think, you know, at least part of the Shidduch crisis that we often speak about is, um, you know, at least partly due to the strict separation of the sections that we've witnessed more often in the Orthodox community. So again, I I, I think there's, you know, there's a real downside to this as well. Um, you know, are there um, laws and halakhos that we need to be aware of? Yes. And I think that, uh, you know, again, Yehud would be a good example of um, of a law that really we should be taking very seriously. I mean, if if Baruch Lanner and some of the other sex abusers were as careful about equit as they were about some of the other halachos that, uh, that that we have to observe, you know, maybe maybe we wouldn't have had some of the problems that we've yeah. uh, you know experienced in the Orthodox community. So, um, you know, I think it goes both ways. Right, one hundred percent.
1: I I I agree with Michael, but I, what I would add to what Michael says is. I think everybody, everybody is aware that there was sexual attraction, and especially among younger people. and but if if you think that somehow separating boys and girls reduces that sexual tension, in some ways, it hypersexualizes because then you, you go to school i I went to co-ed elementary school. I went to an all boys high school. I went to mTA, but i still remained very friendly with girls. I had girls who were friends, not girlfriends. And I had sexual thoughts when I was a teenager because I had hormones just like every other teenager. But I also knew that they were people, they were friends, there was more to them. And when you separate, you very often put in your, in their minds that, Women are sexual, that's all there is, which is why you see in Haredi communities no pictures of women, which is utter nonsense, but it's because of the hypersexualization. So I think that the people in modern orthodox community understand about sexual attraction. Principals and psychologists and all the other administrators in co-ed high schools understand these issues, take them seriously, and have problems just like the 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 people in separate set, except maybe those in separate sex schools don't focus on it because they think they've solved the problem problem, but they think they've solved the program. They haven't. Michael mentions Baruch Lana. He was in an author, orthod- he was in a co-ed environment, but we know that there are plenty of terrible Baruch Lana stories in the Haredi community where they're all separate. So separating doesn't solve the problem. And therefore, the modern Orthodox community and people like the Rav understand that we live in a, in a male-female world where we have female friends, not only male friends, and where we get together males and females together, children and adults. Uh and and it's positive. It's positive. I went to a when I was a kid, I went a kid high school and college. I went to a youth program that was led by rabbi Manuel Rachman, one of the great leaders of modern orthodoxy. I'm going to squeeze that comment in. <laughs> and and it, was, it was an intellectual program. We discussed serious issues and we discussed Jewish news. And at the end, we got together over cookies and, and fruit and stuff and we mingled. And Rabbi Rachman said the third part, the socialization part, was as important as the first two. So, Peshita, we are a multisexual group, I think. That sounds like Uh, a
0: very new term.
1: Okay? And (laughs) we are certainly that way as far as Lima Torah goes. Bishita, and very specific shita, and as I said, because if we don't, if you separate them, there's no way that women are going to get the same access to Torah that men get. They're always going to get the short end of the stick, no matter how good the people are who are running the program. I believe they're always going to get the short end of the stick. I,
2: I want to dispel w- w- one popular myth that just um that's I think it's important. A lot of people feel that just because a family sends their children to a co-educational school, they're kind of less firm, so to speak. And I know plenty of very observant families who feel that a co-educational environment is best for their children. And I really don't think we should blacklist an individual and define him or her a certain way. Based on their choice of schools for their children, I think there are enough halachic um, uh, opinions that say that coeducation is as as Joseph has has said, the Rov and others is okay. Um, the other side, I just wanted to mention before um, you know before we close, is that you know I do know many young women who have told me that they actually prefer learning in a separate sex environment, and in fact, many women feel that way. We shouldn't be forcing mm-hmm. a coeducational setting to be the default and Somehow the better choice. And similarly, there's a social and educational value, I think, for adult men to get together and learn Torah together in a group. And I know Rabbi Kurtz mentioned that in Stanford, he's organized a very successful men's Kabura once a week um, that's attended by many of the young men in our community. And I think the dynamic would be very different and it wouldn't. Nearly be as popular as it is if it were a co ed kabura. So I, I did want to make that, you know, those two points before we closed. Right. And, and so I, oh, so yeah, so, yeah, so just yeah, if you want like a final I quick could, point.
1: Michael said at the very beginning that in, in our communities today, we have many choices. And I actually once said to somebody, I'm very happy living in Teaneck where we have many different schools, co-ed, co-ed in the, uh, co-ed in the same building, but separate classes, separate schools, etc." cetera, because since I want to make sure I have four daughters who went through the educational system here, since I wanted to make sure that they had an equal access to Torah, I sent them to a co-ed school. Mm. If there were those who were against it and wanted a separate set, if they were in my school, if we were the only school, They would there would be fights about why do we teach girls? Do we teach them? So the fact that there were separate schools and those people selected out or self-selected out in the main and we self-selected in the main in. So it made it easier to have the sort of programming of Torah study for girls that we had in in Mariah or first, for example, where where my kids went to school.
0: Right. So I think a number of the points that you said resonate with me as well. Uh, I think, you know, Michael, you did point out it's not a zero sum game, not, you know, some environments or maybe standard environments might have co-educational settings, but it doesn't mean there can't be women only affinity groups or men only affinity groups. And it doesn't have to just mean like whenever there's a Taras discussion that it's women only. I know that I hear from some women that they prefer to just learn amongst themselves. And men also. Some guys decide they want to, you know, have some beer together with themselves. But oftentimes in our community, sometimes people, and Michael, I know you've received complaints as well, when there's something like a men's chabura or a men's this – People aren't looking at 95% or, or upwards of 95% of our programming is by default co-ed, and then they find one thing, which there, many people aren't even attending those other 95%, but then they complain about the 5% that isn't co-ed. So it's it's a bit of an irony. I, I Again, I – think, you know, if we have any female listeners out there, I would encourage, I I do recognize that uh, the three of us are gentlemen and we have our own uh, male experience. Obviously, if there's any women who have certain perspectives on co-education, I always welcome letters to the editor that God willing, will read off in a future episode. So we welcome male respondents and female respondents, especially for this particular one. Would love to get your perspectives. I also, I think I would just add is that... Um, just because there's co-education in modern Orthodox community doesn't mean there can't be certain basic guardrails. Michael, you point out yichud uh, from a halakhic perspective and also just from a standard intelligence standpoint, it's a good practice to have. We are out of time, um, but you guys, both Joseph and Michael, I want to thank you both for sharing not only just your professional expertise, but also your many years, um, that you've been observing and writing about the Orthodox Jewish community. Again, I wanna encourage all of our listeners to check out your books, which will be linked in the description. And uh, God just bless the both of you, God willing, with many more years that you are able to write about and observe about and share your wisdom with all of Klai Israel and the entire world.
1: Thank you very much, Rabbi Kurtz. Thank
0: you, Rabbi Kurtz. Thank you, take care, gentlemen. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Shoot First, Ask Questions Later. Please make sure to subscribe to get the latest updates. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate us and leave a review. Do you have a response to the response that you want to share on the show? Please send your letter to the editor to Kurtz at gmail.com. And God willing, we would love to consider your perspective to be shared on a future episode. This is Moshe Kurtz, and I look forward to reviewing more responses with you next time on Shoot first, ask questions later.